Well, hello and welcome everyone to Spotty on Shares, the Q&A session for discerning share investors brought to you live from the glamorous Ticker News Studios here in Richmond, uh, where we get to shine the spotlight on your shares and of course, answer your questions live on air. So how do you get to ask them, of course? Well, you can text Dexter, waiting to take your text message, 0480-079-089. And a gentle reminder, doesn't take phone calls, just text messages. Uh, and email us, question at spotty.com. Of course, you will see these contact details appear throughout the show at the bottom of your screen, so there's no need to memorize it. But if you do have it in your smartphone, then when you wake up at three in the morning and you've got that stock question that you really need to ask, you can just pop it through and we'll answer it in the next episode. So let's bring in today's uh, Chief Spotters, starting with, well, a great friend of the program, of course, a man who was up all weekend and Monday, of course, watching the Masters, as it were. So no doubt he'll be fired up and pumped up. He's a man who knows that investing is a marathon and not a race. How's that for a wind-up, Gary? Welcome to the show, mate, from Sharewell Systems, of course. How are you doing, Gary? Yeah, pretty good, Elio. Good to be with you again. Yeah, fantastic. And now, look, why don't you tell us a little bit about your investing background, where you've come from, the, the paths you've treaded in order to get you where you are today and, of course, to create that great business at Sharewell Systems. Yeah, it's uh, clicked over 30 years now uh, since I uh, first started, uh, became a groupie in the stock market, uh, <laughs> going down the fundamental path, technical path, uh, researched all kinds of systems and techniques and, and ways of evaluating price action and fundamental data. Um, and uh, here I am now, I'm a systematic, mechanical investor, if you like, medium to long term is, is the way I do it and focus on large cap stocks that, uh, that can, you know, when you combine them as a portfolio, can can outperform the as a portfolio combined uh, outperform the market by by large amounts, you know, five to ten compounded percentage points per annum over over the long term. Okay, bear with me a moment there. Uh, I'll just uh, have a little question I've got to address here for a moment. But but in regards to Share Wealth Systems and the software you produce, tell us about that mechanical system because. You know, when things are running hot at the moment, people may very well feel they don't need a service like ShareWell Systems. But of course, it's often when things are, uh, you know, uh, great that, yeah, you're right, probably, but they don't last, uh, they're not great forever, are they? Elio, uh, as in all walks of life, it's all about how you handle adversity, not about how you handle the good times. It's whether you're a football coach, a football team coach, or a uh, running a business, uh, investing in the stock market, it's about how you handle adversity. And, uh, and we all have adversity. It's, it's coming sometime again uh, this year or next year. Uh, and and I, I reckon there's a good chance, a high probability that, that we're going to have a, you know, another 15 to 25% correction somewhere along the line. And it's about how you handle that time, not, not about how you handle it when we're making your time highs as the US market's uh, done a few times uh, just over the last couple of weeks. It's about when it corrects, that's, that's when you get tested. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. It's all fun and games until the music stops and the kids go crazy as they rush for the chairs. We'll bring in our second guest in a moment. Uh, so uh, stick with us, folks. Won't be too much longer. Uh, the uh, All Ordinary is just having a look here. Open up just slightly. The XJO up 0.13%. The XJO up 0.09%. So going to start by looking at some of the market news. And I want to start with you, Gary, of course, uh, given you're the only one here on the show at the moment. Uh, Stu will be with us in a moment. Uh, with regards to Zipco, who uh, code is Z1P, of course, they announced today that their third quarter revenue rose some 80% to 114.4 million and transaction volumes rose 
114% to $1.6 billion. Now, the standout, of course, was their US business, uh, Quad Pay, which reported some 234% growth in transaction volumes throughout the period. Gary, it had one of those stop and drop patterns that I've uh, decided to brand and I'll eventually trademark, whereby we ran up odd to 13 odd dollars and then it absolutely plummeted back towards eight. However, price has found some support on the back of this positive news. And I think many people who have been backing the buy now, pay later space would say that, well, duh, of course this was going to happen. But from a price action perspective, if it closes at similar levels to where it is now, is that going to be enough of a signal to suggest that possibly that um, downward momentum has at least found a base? It's right on support now, the price of, of Zip, uh, Elio. It's at 775 to around about 815 is, is where the, the support, the base is. Uh, and that was previously resistance. Broke out uh, pretty strongly above that, came down, fell below just marginally just a, a week. I have a rough uh, a rule of thumb of five to seven trading sessions that, it, uh, that it's allowed to fall below a support area. And it's done that, risen just to slightly above it and, and it's really being tested now. The, it's a, that arm wrestle going on between buyers and sellers right now as we speak, whether it can bounce from here and it's a fairly volatile stock. So it uh, it runs at uh, volatility levels of uh, averaging between five and, and 7% per day. That's the range from high to low. So it can move quite a bit intraday, averaging that for quite some time. So it's uh, 8.32 is where the last price I got earlier today. It really does need to be getting above the previous uh, three-day swing high, which is uh, which is around about um, nine dollars. So we, we, I really do want it to get above nine dollars before we um, before it really becomes um, you know, climb into it again. At the moment, it's still our wrestles going on. Not quite mm -hmm. sure uh, where it's uh, it's going to go from here yet. So we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, with more viciousness yeah. than a yeah, more viciousness than a wrestling match, I think, when it comes to the buyers and sellers on the whole sector, not just uh, zip pay, of course. Um, look, we've got Stuart Roberts from Stocks Down Under, a great man who always likes to look up at the stars to find the next opportunity. Stuart, how are you doing? Okay, I need you to turn that microphone off. Of course, that's what happens when you come in for a running start, a half volley either. You smack it through the covers or you take a snick and get caught out at slip. So we'll get that audio up and running <laughs> in a moment. Uh, another one of the big news stories today, of course, was the fact that um, CleanAway um, has just been told that the uh, global uh, giant Suez uh, will be taken over by uh, Vialia, uh, which scuttles their attempts to buy the Australian business. But they will get those five Sydney assets for some $501 million as they had agreed to previously. Now, Gary, just in regards to CWY, and I want to throw in competitor BIN, bingo, because actually their price run harder today on the fact that they're not going to be acquiring these assets. A bit of relief buying there, I dare suggest, that there's not, not going to be an even larger elephant in the room, clean away already yeah, being the largest. But in regards to um, uh, CWY, okay. um, what's the markets are taking from this particular reaction today or to the news today? Well, it's, it's risen today, uh, so it's, it's getting close to its new all-time highs, but it's it's right on resistance. So mm -hmm. there's a level there, 250 to kind of 260, uh, 10 cent band, that is resistance. It's been up there four times prior to this this uh, this particular time. It really does need to break through that 260, 265 level uh, on some decent volume. 
which it hasn't had for quite some time, just average volumes. Um, been range trading for some time. Uh, gee, what, going back to July last, uh, July 2019, is that correct? So we're talking about nearly a two-year sideways range trading uh, move here, uh, and it really does. Until then, I wouldn't be, I'd wait for that breakout. I'd wait for mm -hmm. it to get to 265, 270 on volume and, and uh, get a clear trend established at the moment. It's, it's, it's sure, it's risen to, to, to resistance, but I, I'd be looking for more before I put my money into, into clean away. Okay, and the hamster's been probably, uh, it's, I suppose, twirling away there quite well because we've now got Stuart Roberts, I'm told, and his audio's working fine. G'day, Stuart, how are you doing? Hello, Elio, can you hear me now? Mate, absolutely crystal clear and now, even better that you're on the show. But tell me, um, before I ask you uh, my barrage of questions, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure everyone else would, because you're one of the newer additions to our program, the, the uh, Spotty family, of course. Tell us a little bit about your investing background, and then more importantly, the great publishing house that you've built there as Stocks Down Under, uh, and of course, how that links with the great well-known house, Pitt Street Research. Yeah, thanks, Elio. Um, about 2002, I discovered the biotechnology sector. Biotech isn't something that uh, many investors know. I was working at the time in the research team of a firm called Southern Cross Equities. Uh, that eventually evolved uh, so that I was uh, one of Australia's leading uh, analysts in the equity market covering life sciences. Um, I got out of equity research about 2015, spent a bit of time doing investor relations, but then I came back and I was doing uh, issuer-sponsored equity research. That's where companies pay for their own research. And uh, I did that in the life sciences sector. Mark Kennis, my business partner, is doing the same thing in tech, telco and new media. We started a firm called Pitt Street Research. Uh, two years into that, uh, early 2020, we started a magazine called Stocks Down Under. Our ambition with Stocks Down Under is to get you the maximum possible coverage. Um, we've got about 700 companies that we've written out in Stocks Down Under since we started the magazine. We aim to have close to 1,200 by about the middle of next year. So uh, you get uh, roughly 12 ideas every week uh, and uh, new ideas added all the time. Uh, and they're written not just in plain English, but in the sort of uh, engaging commentary that uh, journalism used to be proud of. Um, so uh, we think we, we, can, um, uh, we can do you at a very reasonable cost, a better kind of uh, uh, equity market research coverage than any of our competitors out there at the moment. And of course, there's a trial available at the website, which is of course, stocksdownunder.com. So just find yourself there and you'll see there's a little link. But now Stuart, uh, time to make you sweat a bit. Um, your, one of your other passions, of course, is you don't mind uh, the old mining stocks. And I'm sure you would have noticed today that Regis Resources has uh, gone into a trading hole at the moment as it raises uh, some $650 million to tip in in order to fund the total $903 million acquisition for the Tropicana or 30% of the Tropicana Gold Project in WA from IGO Limited. Now, Tropicana has a uh, mine life of more than 10 years Production uh, is expected to be between 380 and 430 ounces of gold through 2021. So just wondering, uh, Stuart, in regards to this, a bit of consolidation after a bit of a sell-off in the gold price, but why is IGO doing this? I mean, Tropicana was one of those you know, major assets that it was always part of its stable, but it's uh, now offloaded it. Um, you know, it'd be interesting just to get a bit of an insight in regards to what that motivation might have been. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, uh, IGO first of all. Hmm. Um, uh, it's good times for nickel at the moment. It will be uh, for another generation or so. And the reason is nickel's discovered its next big thing, which is in electric vehicles and, and the batteries specifically of electric vehicles. So IGO wants to be a major player in nickel. 
you recall that uh, quote from um, uh, Elon Musk a while ago to the nickel miners, just get me as much material as you can. Hmm. Well, IGO is one of those companies that are uh, heeding the call. That makes Tropicana a relatively uh, non-core asset, particularly since they don't own all of it. So better to, um, to offload it to a specialist uh, gold miner. Um, but mark my words, the, the, the gold miners that are doubling down and adding to their asset base at this stage of the cycle are set to make out like bandits. Gold's yeah. uh, uh, pause is going to be, uh, as Coca-Cola used to say, the pause that refreshes. Uh, I'm confidently predicting that it'll be, it'll be back over 2,000 an ounce in the next couple of years. And from there, I think the next stop is 5,000 and then $10,000 an ounce. So um, uh, just in this little while, there's a chance to really get um, uh, gold, uh, quality gold assets at once in a generation style pricing, I think, and Regis wants to be part of that. Yeah, that's right, of course. And yes, IGO making that decision to focus on minerals that are involved in the clean energy space and uh, obviously nickel is a big part of that. So it's time for us to answer your questions, folks. All we need is for you to send them through now. Just a reminder, though, that even though we're answering your questions, we're not taking into account your objectives, financial situations or needs. And therefore, should you desire to uh, act on any of this information, then you need to do uh, do so in light of your own personal circumstances. Of course, past performance is no indicator of future performance. And if you wish to discuss anything from this program with anyone other than your significant other in life, then you must find an advisor that's licensed to have that conversation with you. And remember, of course, folks, that our guests do hold interest in stocks. We try to disclose that in the show when we're talking about them. But of course, in the cut and thrust of stock discussion, sometimes we forget. So uh, Mia Culper there in that regard, feel free to contact us uh, directly if you wish to seek any clarification in that regard. I'm going to stick with the uh, gold sector if I can, uh, gentlemen, because I've got uh, quite a few questions. And look, I've got to also commend everyone that's sent questions. because We're going to have some good philosophical discussions today. It's not just going to be stock talk. So, uh, stock talk. so I hope um, you know, you'll find that it's a, uh, uh, an informative session. Question comes from Kevin, and I'll, I'll lean on you for this one first, Stuart. He talks about two stocks, Newcrest Mining and Northern Star. He then caveats his comment by saying that, well, would he actually be better in buying a gold ETF rather than necessarily worrying about the producers? So I know there's uh, many angles for you to go down here, Stuart. So let's focus on NCM and NST first and then bring in that discussion around the ETF versus the headline stock. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, Newcrest is always a dependable company. Remember, it's one of the biggest gold producers in the world. Uh, FY20 output was about 2.2 million ounces. Um, so I regard that as almost equivalent to holding, holding a gold ETF. Mm. But the thing you get with Newcrest is the minuscule cost of production. Um, uh, $800 uh, uh, an ounce uh, Australian uh, was the uh, all-in uh, sustaining cost of, of production. Uh, that's just the KDR effect. Uh, KDR is the gift that uh, keeps on giving. But the one I'd be thinking harder about is the second of those, Northern Star. You've just had the big merge with Saracen. So these guys will be another 2 million ounce producer by about 2024. And the big Pogo project up in Alaska is set to deliver in a, in a serious way. So I'm seeing a lot of upside from, um, from uh, a new project that can come in at particularly low, um, low production cost. Do you go for the producers versus the, um, the ETFs? Well, you, you can manage your risk by owning an ETF if you think that the gold price is going up a, as I do. Um, but you miss out on, uh, on some of the really big upside you can get from picking a good producer where, um, where their selection of projects is, is great. And what I love about Northern Star is Northern Star started with nothing. 
once upon a time they were just a just a, an explorer out there hustling like everyone else now they're mixing it with the same um uh, in the same uh, game as 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 newcrest and barrack and and goldfields and so forth so um uh, i think they can bring that entrepreneurial into this next stage of the gold sector and uh, therefore um, not to mention as well they've got the super pit another gift that keeps on giving so um yeah uh, i would uh, do i would orient my homework more to the second of those companies and I would expect that from a bottom-up stock picker to the script. Good on you there, uh, Stuart. But, uh, Gary, obviously, let's talk about these guys because they're in that larger cap sphere, dependable, plenty of liquidity, obviously. Uh, trend has followed the gold price, as you would expect it to do. But uh, what's your thoughts in regards to uh, NCM and NST? And also, shout-out to Adonis, who also asked you for your view on NST as well. Uh, Elio, um, both of these stocks are part of the universe that we keep an eye on um, with our SPA3 investor long-term you know, mechanical system perspective. And both of these stocks have been in a downtrend since uh, September last year. It kind of peaked August last year. But both have recently in the last uh, week or so given entry signals. Uh, these are mechanical, uh, objective and unambiguous exit signals. I don't hold either of them because my portfolios are fully invested in other stocks at the time. So the question now is, is Saracen falling off the, the, the radar or becoming part of, of Northern Star, is these are the two big ones to keep an eye on. And obviously the question comes from that perspective. So what I do when we get into the situation, if we're looking at banks or you know, Rio and DHP or whatever, is you know, the correlation between them is, is not as high as what people would expect. So I use a, a, a technique called relative strengths. Now I'm looking purely at price action here. Uh, a relative strength comparison where you just basically do a ratio between the two share prices. And it, it shows that over the last, uh, going back to 2008, um, is that Northern Star, and I know it was relatively new back then, but even if you go back to 2013 over that period of time, Northern Star has been the outperformer. And that's obviously because it's, it's been been a bit more marginalized to the, to the, to the gold price and Newcrest has been the big fuddy-duddy. Uh, but uh, Northern Star is starting to take on a little bit of that status to become a bit of a fuddy-duddy. So you know, if, if you are compiled, you're going to put this into a portfolio, it doesn't make sense to hold both. It really comes down to choosing which one you want to be in at, at, at any given time. They've kind of, really, from a relative strength perspective, been more or less uh, since last year, over the last year, been much of a muchness in terms of their comparison. They don't necessarily follow the gold price. Um, so that, that's really where would you be? You could be in either at this stage. From a mechanical perspective, we'll have members that are would, will be in both or, or either, and uh, they'll be managing their exit. Now, this is, we said at the, at the head of the show about handling times of adversity. It's all about having an exit strategy when you get in. I don't think either of these are long-term buy and hold. We might talk about that a bit later with another mm. question coming up. And there are stocks that you would want to get in and get out of on a medium to longer term basis. Um, that said, the other question is, do you buy and hold the GOLD, which is the Australian dollar uh, gold ETF? Uh, and uh, if, if you do a relative strength comparison between these two gold stocks and the GOLD ETF, the, the correlation is pretty low. Um, so it's, uh, again, it's, it's the, the gold ETF is not going to disappear, neither will these two. It really comes down to you know, moving and rebalancing and that in your portfolio at a given time. But at the moment, it looks like uh, these could be starting a bit of a medium-term uptrend. Both of them. 
Yeah, because, of course, yeah. Stuart, the one thing we don't ever talk about when we're assessing gold stocks and the like, we're all looking at that gold price in US dollar terms, is the fact that our Aussie companies are, you know, priced at Aussie dollar terms. And, and that can have a big impact on the price of those producers as well, can't it? Absolutely. The, um, uh, the, the, when the, the currency was under pressure uh, uh, last year, which it didn't remain for long, that made the, uh, the Australian uh, producers particularly attractive. Um, uh, most Australian miners have uh, relatively low cost of production. With Northern Star and, and, uh, and Newcrest, uh, increasingly they're going to internationalise themselves, that, so that'll become less relevant, but uh, quite relevant right now. And the currency is why the GOLD, as uh, Gary alluded to, you will see that um, incorrect correlation between the two versus US dollar and Aussie dollar terms. But the only thing I'll emphasise is that the common mistake many investors have is they invest in a mining stock and think they're getting direct and absolute 100% exposure to the commodity that they're either looking for or they're currently producing. It's important to note that when you're talking ETF, you are talking about the final product. Once it's come out of the ground and it's been shaped and it's sitting in a nice warehouse stockpiling somewhere. When you're talking about a producer, you've got things like, of course, you know, wages, you've got risks, you've got, you know, the drill bit might break or they might strike the next mother load or whatever the case may be. So there's a lot more variables when it comes to that. And all you need to do is decide whether from an investment perspective, you want the pure 100% commodity exposure, constant, consistent and to the point. Or do you want some of that production upside possibly appreciating and understanding that you could also go the other way as well? It's almost like a more leveraged play to the underlying commodity. But that's why sometimes you'll get that volatility. But definitely when you're talking about Newcrest and Northern Star, especially, you know, and Stuart mentioned, you know, Bill Beeman took it from absolutely nothing to the monolith that he is today. And now he's gone to VentureX, of course. Um, if you want to know actually when he joined VentureX, uh, just have a look at their share price. I think that'll tell you something. Just have a bit of a look there. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Just a quick one. Just yes. a quick one to better for people just to learn from. There's the XGD Gold Index for Australia, yes. which is basically the gold. And that includes both producers and explorers. Yes. And if you just look at the GOLD ETF and you, and you do a relative strength comparison against the XGD Index, you'll see there's no correlation. And that is the exact reason why you just gave that. Yeah. Exactly. So, gentlemen, we're going to the next question. We're going to keep it in this same space. And I love it when we keep, you know, questions in the family. I mean, we've got, uh, of course, young Philip and Helen. And, and now we've got Julie, mum of Will. I'll read her question. Uh, my son pays board by giving me share tips and information, and I'm learning. Some days he should be evicted. Well, the, <laughs> welcome to the world of share investing. Should try doing it for a living. Uh, it seems like every share tip he gives me, I buy, sell, whatever it is, it just goes the wrong way. However, her question relates to BHP. She bought this back in 2010 at $31.42. Not that we can take that into account, of course, um, uh, Julie. She does mention that it's had its ups and downs, but she's hesitant of ever thinking about it. Now, for those that have watched this program for a while, you'll know Will, he's a very keen watcher of charts and he trades the pips and the like, and often he can tell about buying and selling and the like, and she's been hurt where she got out of the banks at the wrong time. And CBA, for example, went up. Now, irrespective of trying to deal with family disputes, Stuart, let's talk about BHP. Let's talk about these monoliths and let's talk about holding them for the long term. Now, I will caveat, obviously, by saying that you're looking for the next BHP as a general rule, and that's what you do as a business. Um, we all laud BHP for what it's been able to achieve and the status it holds in our market. But when it comes to holding one of these behemoths, what are the sorts of 
things you want to be doing to either block out the noise or listen to some of that noise and sometimes be a little bit more proactive in your holding because essentially she's thinking she might die with this stock. What's the point of selling it when over the long term it just keeps going up? And she's mentioned that it's gone up 48% since she bought it way back when. Yeah, so um, uh, I have some sympathy for this problem. Uh, my father and grandfather were lifetime employees of BHP. Mm. So I feel like I'm part of the BHP family. Yeah. And to sell BHP would be like uh, to go to someone's funeral. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but let's, let's be a little more objective here. The time to buy BHP was in 1998-99. Now, you recall at that time, the company had effectively lost its independence. The old BHP we all called the big Australian. When, when it was forced into the merger with Billiton because of some poor capital allocation decisions. The time to sell BHP um, was probably around 2011. So you, you sell these, these mining behemoths at the point when the commodity price cycle is turning against you. And then you buy it again uh, when the commodity price uh, cycle hits bottom. In this case, it would have been 2016. So my instinct in that sense is to hold, is, is I'm a holder of this thing for, for a while longer yet because, because we, we're still on the good price cycle. But um, it's not the BHP that my father and grandfather worked for, uh, which uh, explored all over the world and had a, a habit of, of getting hold of some really good assets. This is a company that let go of some of its best assets when it spun out South 32 several years ago. Um, so it's, it's, it's gotten into the habit of selling at the wrong time itself. No wonder then that the, the peak of the stock was, um, uh, was, was there in March and it's been selling off in the meantime. So I've got some criticisms of BHP. I wouldn't trust them as much as, as I'd trust some, southern, some, some emerging type, type companies, but they haven't really managed to, to do anything seriously wrong. So my instinct is, is, is to keep holding and, uh, and keep it in the portfolio and, and collect those dividends until, until it's clear that the whole commodity price cycle is turning and that's not happening yet. Yeah, and look, uh, Gary, he mentions the dividends there, and I did do a bit of a calculation, Julie, and from when you first bought that stock in the amount of dividends, you've actually recouped half your original purchase price. So I know you sit there and say that you've made 48%, but actually all the dividends that you've earned throughout that time actually have covered you for half of that already. Um, and, you know, one would think that that would continue, particularly at this moment in the cycle where dividends are quite strong. But, Gary, obviously the question around you know, do you maintain blind faith is a tough one. You know, we have many different reasons to get emotionally attached to these uh, buggers and, you know, a lot of them can be our past glories and we anchor our thoughts to those. But, of course, being proactive investors mean we have to make proactive decisions and every day we decide to hold the stock is actually a decision. It's effectively a decision to buy even though you don't have to pay brokerage. So what sort of words of advice would you provide someone for a young Julie who is remembering just starting out her investing journey as well um, and just, you know, how she should manage one of these types of core holdings that she's held for quite a while and obviously, you know, is wanting to think when might be the right time rather than listening to a squatter that occasionally drifts through her house, um, what she could possibly do um, with regards to helping her manage her position in a stock like BHP's. Well, two questions, obviously. Um, it's the one about BHP and the other one is, you know, should you only have uh, hold these stocks by and hold for, for forever, for long term? Well, just to put the BHP thing into perspective and not to add much more to what Stuart said, BHP traded above $40 in 2008, and it's only really made a new high uh, since then, uh, just recently in, you know, in, the last, uh, in the last three or four months. So it's, uh, that's a long time. That's 13 years. Mm. And sure, it's been up and down. You could have traded along the way, but as you said, a lot of the ga the gain has come from from a dividend. 
the, um, the, the one stock only type question in inverted commas that, that uh, I've been grappling with and Stuart has uh, you know, for, for, for a long time, people ask them, ask these questions is, is, you know, is there a stock you can hold or one or two or three or four that you can form a portfolio of that you never sell? Uh, I don't think BHP is one of those. It is tied to the commodity cycle and it comes and goes and it's a long-term cycle, the commodity cycle. So it's one to get in and get out of over, over long periods of time. Um, the, what is the question you ask yourself about one stock type, uh, type, uh, type of portfolios, if you like? And the question these days is, can the business get disrupted? Um, banks, can, can they get disrupted? Sure they can. In fact, they're probably getting disrupted to some degree. Can, uh, can, can large capital intensive businesses like BHP get disrupted? Sure they can. It comes and goes with, with different moves and the different requirements for commodities. So ask yourself that question. One I can put to you that you might want to, uh, want to think about that has a low probability of getting disrupted is probably a company like CSL. And there might be some others out there that you can, you can go and look at. But um, buy and hold forever in a particular stock, it's not, it's not the way that I invest. Uh, I, I prefer to be in positions for anything from you know, two to two months to, 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 to two years, depending on what the trend and the price, price action is doing. And just to spend that 15 minutes to half an hour a week to, uh, to putting my money at risk, but then also, number one, protecting the downside by having an, a clear exit mechanism. I happen to be in BHP at the moment. Why? Because it had that breakout. And uh, and it's it's not it's not it hasn't hasn't got a big profit in the moment, but it's uh, I've got a clear, well-defined, unambiguous point where I will get out, correct to one cent, and if it falls below that price, I'm out and I recycle into some other other stock. The only bit of colour I'll the add to the, oh, oh, sorry, I just got a bit of feedback there. The only bit of colour I'll add there, um, Julie, to that is you know just remember that ultimately your investment objectives and how you want to go about investing are going to be very different than what wills are. You're coming both from very different positions of your life cycle, not only the commodity cycle as it were. So how you approach stocks can't be and won't be exactly the same as young Will. So always put a grain of salt, go with your gut a little bit in a lot of cases, often you'd be amazed how strong the intuition is. But you know, if it still aligns with what you're trying to achieve and it's delivering what you would expect and you're feeling comfortable with the sort of returns you've got, then there's no need to necessarily act. Otherwise, if you want a little bit better returns, then you consider one of the many guests that appear on this program in order to assist you. And just to add uh, a little bit of definition, when we talk about you know, uh, being a cyclical stock, we're saying that it has peaks and troughs as a business, periods where iron ore price are very, very low, and then other periods where iron ore prices are very, very high. And obviously, the time to be in is when prices are doing well or improving, at least coming off a low base. And that sort of adds a bit more background to what those gentlemen said. And welcome aboard, Julie. All right, let's talk about a stock that may very well be the next BHP, of course. Long, long way to go here in this regard. The question comes from Diane. It's for you, Stuart. Um, a stock um, in particular, Mineral Commodities Limited. The code is MRC. Uh, price has experienced some weakness recently and was wondering whether you still had, well, a positive disposition. Um, on the business. So MRC, Stuart, your thoughts? Yes, Diane. Um, we're absolutely bullish on this one. Um, Mark Kennis and I included it in Mark and Stuart's top picks some weeks ago. Uh, in fact, just before the recent price decline. That was 100% purely because the, the company had chosen to terminate its then CEO, Mark Caruso. Mm. Um, uh, no other reason. Um, the, the projects this company is sitting on are world class. 
They own probably the highest grade uh, graphite mine in the whole of uh, Europe, a place called Skaland way up in, um, in Norway. Uh, they also own a pretty valuable um, uh, and also high grade um, graphite project called Mungalanup in um, uh, near Esperance in Western Australia. Between those two projects, they want to build uh, a plant that can produce battery grade graphite um, and, uh, and target that to the European market. Now, with the whole battery mineral space coming back, the push is on now for um, projects that aren't reliant in any way on the Chinese market that would serve in particular the European market. And that's where mineral commodities has been, uh, has been positioned. Throw in the foundation asset, which is a, a mineral sands mine in uh, South Africa's Western Cape called Tormen. Uh, and I think you've got everything here. You've got cash flow from the existing operation, which is expanding by the way. Uh, and you've got huge upside in the order of north of 800 million US dollars from the battery um, uh, anode plant the company is thinking about, um, about uh, putting its capital into. And the only reason for this move is because of the, um, uh, the, the recent departure of the CEO who had bought most of these assets together. So the fear is that um, uh, the, the, the guy who was the rainmaker has moved on. Uh, at the moment, they're just looking for a, for a new CEO who can then pick up where, where he left off. So we're confident this, this company is headed for better days. Yeah, look, um, I'll ask you a little bit in a moment there um, about a, a different stock altogether. Gary, I won't get you necessarily worried about that. Liquidity can be a little bit funny, but I'll go to another one that starts with M. Adonis asked for a follow-on question on Magellan. Uh, Magellan Funds Management, code MFG. And I'll ask you about PNI in a moment too, Stuart, if you don't mind. But MFG, let's uh, have a look at that chart because, of course, there was the glory days, you know, they couldn't do any wrong. And then, of course, as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, it gets harder and harder and harder <laughs> to outperform. And price, you know, it's still getting positive fund flow, but the price has been sort of tracking a bit sideways. What's your view in regards to MFG at the moment, uh, Gary? Well, it, uh, those glory days, we went from 20 cents to $20. Um, it's kind of stalled a little bit. Uh, the It had another breakout uh, and went sideways for a while after that run-up. Had the breakout in uh, January of 2019 when it got about $28, rushed all the way up to 75 and had the massive retracement during COVID last year. The Looking at the bigger picture long-term chart here, it, uh, it, it is in a, a period of consolidation, quite a lengthy one. Why? Because it had such a big run-up leading into this period of consolidation. It's at the lower levels of the consolidation. What is the range of the consolidation? Around about $42 up to about $65, quite a wide range. And it's, it's bounced up off that low, around about 42 up to 48 Still in the lower, lower parts of this range, it does need to get above before I'd, uh, what it could do, yeah, sorry, I should say, is it could bounce all the way back to 42 again and go and test that, that quite strong support level down there. Uh, to actually take a position in Magellan, I would want it to, to get above uh, around about $51, uh, $51.50. Uh, so it's still a little way to go, another $3 on to, uh, to, to put onto the price. It's at a level now where, as we spoke about earlier, the buyers and the sellers are on a bit of an arm wrestle. It's around a point of support resistance, a strong point of, of support resistance. It's around about $48 where it is at the moment. Uh, it does, that's another point. Uh, the $48 level is a 50, won't go into too much detail, but it's quite an important technical level, um, which is 50% of the, of the, of the run-up, the previous run-up that it had. Uh, so it does, there's a, there are a lot of technical reasons why the buyers and sellers are having an arm wrestle here. So we do need to wait and see whether it's the buyers went out or the sellers went out. Sellers went out, it's probably going to go down to around about 42 again. Buyers went out, it's going to get above that 51, 52 level and probably run up to the next uh, resistance level, which is around about 62. So 
I'd be waiting for that breakout about 51, 50, 52 dollars with a bit of volume to before I took a position. If you're in it, you'd be waiting to see what happens. Uh, if you're not in it, I'd be that is before you sell. If you're not in it, I'd be waiting to uh, to wait for that breakout about 51, 50, 52 dollars. Okay, Gary, we'll be asking you if your two stocks are seeing a light on in the moment. But before we do that, Stuart, uh, there was a question from Stephen, and he'd like our view in regards to Pinnacle Investment Management (PNI) and how its model compares to a Magellan that we've just spoke uh, spoken about. So, I don't know about you, Stuart, but being a, like much like you, you know, a bottom-up stock picker for as long, I've never really liked getting into fund managers, given they basically do what I'm trying to do, and you know, think I could do better, even though I ran one myself. What do you think in regards to P&I? Are there any insights you can give them or give a young Stephen as to why it might be better than a Magellan at this point in its uh, particular business cycle? Um, or do you prefer Magellan over a P&I? Look, uh, the, the, the smarts that, that, uh, that got Magellan into the big league uh, is going to serve them in the next stage of the cycle as well. So my, my instinct is to, um, is to, is to stick with, with, with Magellan. Mm. But uh, as a general rule, um, the, the time to get into the uh, wealth managers are in the bear markets rather than the bull markets. Yes. In the bull markets, everyone uh, er, er, thinks they're an investment genius. And that kind of makes it hard for, um, for, for uh, er, any sort of uh, fund manager to outperform the general market. It's, it's when those professional smarts kick in during the bear phase. And admittedly, you sometimes have to withstand some fund, uh, fund outflow uh, uh, to, to be, before you can do that. But that's the time to be looking at those stocks. So in this kind of bullish environment with where we're, we're moving into, uh, I, I don't see that, uh, that, that anyone's really distinguished themselves in a big way. Um, the one I've always liked is anything involved in platinum, uh, because uh, Kerr Nielsen um, brings a, um, a discipline to the game, which is second to none. He, he, he combines discipline and imagination in equal measures, which is hard for a, for a big time fund manager to, to achieve. And he's one of the few with a genuinely global perspective. You know, it comes from, from um, I think he's originally from Joburg. So, I mean, it comes from, from um, you know, being in a, in a far-flung part of the empire, basically. Uh, so, um, so if, you, if you've got to get involved in one fund, you know, go do your homework with, with, um, with some of the platinum boys, is what I would say. Yeah, now obviously with regards to Pinnacle, I mean, they have interest in fund managers as well and a few other things, but look, in essence, they just want to be a big old conglomerate um, as well. And no doubt, as Stuart mentioned, yes, when things go up and you've got a mandate to remain 100% exposed, then you sort of make money even by accident. Uh, it's when the uh, tide goes out that, as is famously said, you'll find out who's swimming naked. Uh, Gary, uh, talk about, talking about great men from the uh, continent of South Africa, it's time for you to help us see the light on two stocks that we're going to listen attentively to, then toddle off and do our own research to see whether they align with their own investment objectives and tolerance to risk. So what companies do you want to bring to our attention today, Gary? The first one is ResMed, RMB. The, um, it's... It's just given, and I should declare that both of these stocks I do have interest in, not because uh, of any uh, of any uh, subjective reason, but purely because the mechanical system that I use is given entry signals, and I'll be obviously trailing them with a stop loss. But uh, ResNet has uh, recently given an entry signal. It's uh, it's broken above a resistance level at, at around about the twenty six to twenty six fifty level. It's uh, today that is. It's uh, and. That is looks like it could go all the way to twenty nine dollars, but I'd be holding that with a um, it's a large cap stock. Obviously, there's lots of liquidity in it, and I'd be holding that, following that with a trading stock. The other one is Seek S E K. Uh, 
trading at around uh, all-time highs. There's a bit of resistance up there at the $32 level, $31.50, $32 level. That also recently gave an entry signal on our long-term mechanical system, and that's the reason I'm in it. I'd also be trading it as well. But those are two large-cap stocks. Everybody knows household names. And I think uh, um, people tend to think they can get uh, you know, big moves in, in small-cap stocks. And sure, we can. But the, one of the problems with that is that you, you can only put small amounts of money into it because they're illiquid. And what you can do with some of the larger cap stocks is you can leverage them a little and you can mimic that, that, that larger type of, of percentage gain, if you like, through smaller moves. But you have the liquidity on your side and the fact that they're probably not going to fall 50% pretty quickly. Uh, yes, be the tortoise and win the race of investing life, Gary. I'm sure everyone is uh, very familiar with that uh, concept. Uh, all right then, Stuart, I know you give out 12 a week, but I need you to give two right now of stocks that we are going to listen attentively to and then do our own research as to whether it aligns with our own investment objectives and tolerance to risk. So who do you want to help us see the light on? Well, that's that's easy. Uh, two, two stocks we just introduced into Mark and Stewart's top picks, and they're both gold companies. Uh, as I tipped my hand earlier, I'm a big gold, uh, gold bug right now. Mm-hmm. The two to look at are Geo Pacific Resources, GPR, and the other one is Aura Band of Mining. OBM, uh, so mid-cap uh, gold, uh, emerging gold producers. Geo Pacific uh, developing a new gold mine in Papua New Guinea on the island of Woodlark out in Milne Bay province. Uh, uh, that stock's been uh, under pressure because of the concerns that COVID-19 would set back the development pathway. They think they could potentially be, be pouring uh, first gold before the end of the year. Um, and, uh, and there's plenty of upside where that came from in terms of, of the exploration potential around the mine. Uh, the second one, uh, Orabanda, Australia's newest gold producer. Uh, they recently poured their first gold at their Davyhurst Gold Project, relatively small uh, project, 80,000 ounces a year for the next five years, but that's just where it starts. They've got a resource uh, much bigger than that, and they're starting conservatively with, with just the beginnings of, of what could be a, a multi-year growth story in, uh, in Orabanda. So two great gold stories to look at. AVM and GPR. Now, with a bit of time on our hands, gentlemen, I thought I would finish off on some questions. Uh, you get the choice of which stock you want to talk about here, Stuart, both of them are in the uh, biotech space, and we've spared you a bit of that, so we'd love to get um, a view on at least one of these. Either RGS, Regenerous, um, which is a stem cell business, or uh, Bard Life Sciences, of course, BD1, which has been talked about on all the social channels for quite some time now. So uh, any one of those that you'd like to uh, just elaborate for, either for young Craig or for Philip? Yeah, so um, uh, Bard One Life Sciences is a company I, I've had a bit to do with lately. Okay. Um, uh, so the, the, the core of the, the company is uh, is a way to be able to uh, easily detect um, um, uh, bladder cancer, amongst other things. Um, but the reason the stock re-rated was with some new technology they'd recently got hold of, um, which allows you to, to, to detect certain cancers with um, higher degrees of precision than you ordinarily could. It's it, it's involved with picking out uh, things called glycans. So the, the sh- uh, cancers are distinguished by the fact that the sugar profile on top of the cell is a little bit different. And um, uh, Bard One have fished out a, a, a great way to detect that. Uh, when they announced the, the results in, in a breast cancer study that they'd done, um, the, the stock re rated quite heavily. But you would have seen after that re-rate, the stock's um, trended back uh, gradually. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not crashing, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's pleasurably declining, shall we say. So I think people should be watching this, but if you're not in the stock right now, I'd be waiting because you, you could probably pick up some, some valuable technology uh, later on uh, once, uh, once this stock's fully cooled off. But yeah, I like the uh, I like the guys who are running it. 
I think they've got some interesting. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, plenty of upside there. Uh, Gary, just quickly, because I'll get one from you. Spark New Zealand SPK. Elaine asked me um, in regards to uh, on Twitter, uh, you know, if fundamental side, growth or income. Well, I think it's an income play. It's got anemic growth. So really, this is just about collecting dividend checks. But it is a bit of a trader's chart. In 20 seconds, what's your view and what key levels would you be watching, watching for SPK? 5.6, back you on that, dividend yield that is. It's at support at the moment between $4 and $4.10. Does need to bounce off that. You don't want it to fall below that. It has maintained that support. But the trading range at the top side is $4.60 to $65. If it does bounce off the support level, it could run all the way to four dollars sixty to sixty-five again. Glad I got your support, Gary, the great man from Share Wealth Systems. Thank you for your contribution today, and Stuart Roberts from Stocks Down Under. Thanks very much for your contributions today. And yes, it looks like the studio is falling apart, so I better wrap up. John Athanasiu from Redleaf Securities is on the show tomorrow, and yes, it's autumn, so he'll be on fire. Frank Watkins from Pro Trader will also be on the show. If you've got a question, you know those details. And remember, folks, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty, and together we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Take care.